I, I was raised in church. We went to Memorial Heights Baptist Church. I'm going to stare down here most of the time, probably, because they told me to envision everyone in their underwear, and that would make me less nervous, but we're in church, so. <laughs> um, <laughs> elementary school was not uh, super easy for me, and that kind of uh, set the tone for the type of person that I was going to be for the rest of my life. Uh, by the time I got to middle school, I found something called punk rock. I don't know if anyone's familiar with punk rock, but uh, there's kind of two big ends of that. One is like you learn to stand up for your principles, what you really believe in, and fight for it, and regardless of what anybody tells you. The other end of that spectrum is self-destruction, nihilism, drowning your anger pretty much, and, you know, I, I learned a lot about uh, what I wanted and how to stand up for that from punk rock, and then I learned that alcohol was awesome and drugs were awesome from punk rock, so that was where I learned some confidence and how to stand up for myself, and also was pretty much my first foot in the hole. <laughs> I still love punk music today, don't get me wrong, but, you know, we, we started drinking and hanging out pretty young while we were skateboarding and stuff, and it's, it, you know, it was fun, like, it's always fun when you start, and the one thing that everybody tells you and that nobody believes is that by the time you realize that you're in over your head, it's too late, and by the time you realize that you can't stop, you want to stop. So, <clears throat> you know, it was fun there for, for a few years, and then I was just convincing myself that it was fun. Um, fast forward through high school, after high school is when, you know, it was easier to drink more because I wasn't going to school. So that's when it really started to take a hold, um, and we were at a party, and then we got a ride home. We were supposed to get a ride home from someone at the party, and we ended up driving off of a 70-foot cliff in West Virginia. Um, there was five of us in the car. Uh, one person now is a quadriplegic. Uh, the other boy, like, punctured a lung and shattered a vertebrae and stuff like that. I think his collarbone popped out. I was trapped in the vehicle for three, three hours. You know, uh, I was the only one that got stuck, and it took them that long to get down that cliff with chains and a tow truck at the top to lift the car up and cut me out. And meanwhile, ambulance after ambulance is coming into the hospital. My family and friends are sitting there waiting on me to show up, and I'm not showing up. And, uh, <clears throat> you know. That was my first big sign from God that what I was doing was not what I was supposed to be doing. And I didn't pay any attention to that sign. It wasn't very long until I was just back at it. And the injuries that I sustained there were my first exposure to pills, which wouldn't come along as an addiction until a few years later. But I learned through that that they did make you feel a certain way that, you know, similar to alcohol, you can escape. 
Um, there's something we call a bragamony. In rehab, we call them war stories, and that's where you talk about your past and you sort of glorify things. And I'm going to try and be um, keep from having it sound that way, but I feel like some details are kind of important for context um, and for relativity to anyone who may be struggling with something. It's easier for that person to relate if they know more specifics. So forgive me if talking about drugs is, you know. Um, after that, you know, it was just kind of a free-for-all. I mean, I was bouncing from job to job. Me and my friends were drinking every day, not sleeping before work, running around, and then, you know, then the arrests started happening. Um, <clears throat> just stupid, drunken, in public stuff. I'd get arrested for I'd start getting in trouble. And, you know, after so long, the shame and the guilt really starts to be the biggest trigger for someone in that situation. You're, you're embarrassed. You've done things to publicly embarrass yourself. You have embarrassed your friends and your family. Everybody knows you've been arrested. Everybody knows that you're, you know, you, you don't want to believe that everyone knows that you're a pillhead or a drunk, but everybody knows. And you, uh, you get to the point where you don't want to go out, you don't want to be around people, you start to alienate yourself, you're afraid of getting in more trouble, you're afraid of what people will think, and it's, I was in a place where I just had absolutely no self-esteem left, and it ended several relationships for me. One relationship I got into with a, with a girl was, she kind of nagged me into quitting pills, so I, I, I'd stopped, and uh, we were together a few years, and then we broke up, and th when we broke up, it was mainly due to the fact that we were both drinking, and that relationship sort of hit me really hard, and that was the real spiral that I had, was after she and I broke up, and then I lost a job that I had that I really, really, really liked, and you know, things just seemed completely lost. I didn't have any idea how to fix it or fix myself. And that was probably when I was at the lowest point of my life. I, you know, I had sustained a shoulder injury. I was drinking and going places just to, to drink and fall asleep for the rest of the day and not be awake for life and not have to deal with anyone nagging me, telling me to stop, didn't want to deal with people being able to look into my eyes and see that, you know, I was messed up. And it was around that time I was drunk and someone offered me a pain pill because my shoulder was hurting and I was right back at it. And then, then I got pulled over for my first DUI, which should have come much sooner. And that should have been, you know, there's so many situations that I got in trouble that should have been the, the line, the rock bottom, and it wasn't. And I was living at home again. I was afraid of going with friends or in public, so my parents didn't like me drinking, so I wasn't allowed to drink at the house. And when I moved back to the house, what I resorted to was driving around, listening to music on back roads, and drinking in my car. And then I would go home or go somewhere to fall asleep later. And that caught up with me when I, I got that DUI. And I continued to do that after that first DUI. 
and a week before my court for that DUI, I got pulled over again. And by the grace of God, I was cut a break. And, you know, a week before court for a DUI, and I get pulled over drunk again. And that right there I took as, like, Jordan, this is your last chance that God's given you to get it together. And from there, I went to rehab a week later, the day after court. And that was my first, uh, the first treatment that I ever went into. And it worked for a little while. I was there for 30 days. I learned a lot about the science of addiction and brain chemistry and all these millions of reasons why I was an addict. When, you know, now in retrospect, the reason was because I was lost and my soul was lost and no amount of education was going to fix that. But I was optimistic, I was sober, I was feeling good, I got a few responsibilities there at rehab and I started meditating. I got really into Buddhism, I still always believed in Jesus, but Buddhism had these cool meditations that would relax you and stuff and I got really caught up into that and then that eventually I got out months later adversity sort of struck and rather than going to these new coping skills that I'd learned and meditating those were the furthest things from my mind I went straight back after seven months and I bought a six-pack and then went back for more later that went on for about four or five months, maybe more, and I went, resorted back to hiding away in my house and not leaving and alienating myself and secluding myself from anyone and everyone who loved me and wanted to help me. And then my grandfather started to go downhill and it was a week or more that we were there with him and I was in and out constantly going to get drinks and one time I had too many and I came back and it was obvious and that's when mom pulled me to the side and we had a long talk and we prayed and she said you know we're not going to let this go on again like we did you have to go get help again now or you know I she didn't know what else we could do so it was a few days later, I came here for my first service here at Calvary Chapel. You know, I, I mean, like I said, th these are situations you start feeling just, you don't want to look people in the face. You don't want people to know. You think everybody knows. You're ashamed. You just feel lost. You feel like completely unworthy after everything you've done of getting any respect or love from anybody. And I came here, and people started greeting me, and they already knew who I was because they had been praying for me. So I'm sitting here, and there's a song on, and one of these lights was off. I don't remember why, just the one light wasn't on. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, God, if I'm supposed to go away again, or, you know, or, or am I doing the right thing? That light, phew. <laughs> and, and I... It could have just been 
uh, you know, busted light bulb coming back on, but I, I took that as a, you know, hello, yeah, you're in church, stay here. <laughs> and, and then later that day, I got a phone call from a friend of mine who'd been in recovery for three years and was doing really well. So that was all just kind of confirmation that I needed to be coming back here. So I came for several weeks before uh, Pastor Rob here and I went up to his office and we sat down. <clears throat> we prayed, we looked online, we found a few places, and then we found a place called U-Turn that was a Calvary Chapel-based kind of program, and it is a Christian uh, boot camp, is what they call it on the website. It kind of was a boot camp. They, they have you in the Bible, you know, I, I decided to go. I skipped that detail. We, I, I go to Tennessee to U-Turn, uh, and it's, you know, you wake up at 5.30, you read your Bible for a half an hour, and then you got to write a little essay about something. Then after lunchtime, you come back and you read your Bible for another half an hour. And then after dinner, you come back and you read your Bible for another hour. And then you have either church or Bible study. And then that night before you go to bed, you're back in your Bible again. And at that place is where I really, really, really learned how to read the Bible, what to ask for before I read the Bible, and what confirmations to look for while reading the Bible. Before, when I'd be desperate and lost and I'd go, go try the Bible, I'd open Genesis, because I have OCD, I have to start at the beginning. And, you know, I open it up, Genesis, Adam and Eve eat the apple, sin ruins everything, and it, I'm just like, man... Like, I'm sinning, that made me feel like junk, and I'd close it, and, you know, if you guys know, that's pretty early on, more good stuff comes later, but that was just, I, I wasn't doing it right, and now I knew how to do it, <laughs> and let me see where I'm at here. <laughs> okay, yeah, so U-turn was, it, it, it was a blessing, without a doubt. There were some downsides to it. One was just that there was one person that was sort of, uh, I don't know how to put this without sounding like I'm complaining about it. He, he had more of a need to discipline people than he did to try and uplift people. And he and I came to butting heads quite often. And eventually, you know, I prayed about it and I was really confused. He had been telling me that the things that I was saying, I thought God was trying to tell to me that God wasn't telling me those things. And I was all conflicted and messed up in the head. And I packed my duffel bag up one morning and I just left. And I'm walking down the road in Tennessee and I'm like, crap. I'm in Farmville, Tennessee, miles from anything. And I don't know where I'm going. And I was just like, God, am I doing the right thing? And then someone, I remember someone had mentioned for me to go to the hospital. So I went to this hospital walked like 10 miles with this giant backpack. I probably looked like a hitchhiker. And it was kind of like a little spiritual pilgrimage. And I prayed pretty much the entire way. And I didn't know where the hospital was. I just kind of had a hunch and I kept walking. And I was like, man, I've been walking pretty far. I haven't got to this hospital yet. I think I'm lost in Tennessee. So I was like, well, I don't know where to go if I go backwards. So I just kept going forward. And eventually on the horizon, there was the hospital, and it had sun rays coming from behind it, like in the movies. It's <laughs> And so I go into this hospital, and, you know, I'm obviously upset. I've been crying and praying the entire walk there. I just walked 10 miles with, like, a huge duffel bag, so I'm covered in sweat. I look a mess, probably like a hobo. And I walk up, and I ask this lady, 
I say, you know, I heard that there's phones here that I can use. Uh, could I please use the telephone? And the hospital phones only dialed local numbers. So she let me use her cell phone. She was the first angel God put in my path when I left there. And she let me use her cell phone. A few of the other ladies there that were at another desk doing something or other, I don't know what all the job titles are, um, they got me a lunch ticket. And they let me hang out there all day. And they all prayed with me and they all talked with me. And uh, they, were, they were really angels that God put in my path. And uh, you know, I call up here to mom. And I'm sure by the time she answered the phone, she already knew why I was calling because U-Turn called her and told her that uh, I flew the coop. And she had already talked to Rob, whom I'd only met several times, only got to talk to once or twice. And she was like, well, you know, Rob's coming back from Florida. He'll pick you up. And I was like, no, I don't want someone to, like, inconvenience themselves. And she was, you know... It got to the point where Rob was coming to pick me up. Uh, I don't know if you know his friends Steve and Ann, Anna um, from Florida, but they have a house in North Carolina, which is not too far from where I was in Tennessee. And it all sort of worked out completely perfect that Anna made the kids' lunch early that day, and she didn't know why, and it was because she had to leave to come pick me up in Tennessee. So just little details like that that God worked out ahead of time that just made it so perfect. And they picked me up. I stayed there for a couple days. We went back to U-Turn, and then I came back. And Rob and I had a long talk on the way back, and we weren't, you know, we weren't sure about what to do because you're supposed to stay there. You're not supposed to leave. <laughs> and uh, we were trying to figure out what to do with me now, and uh, I started volunteering here. And, you know, it came down to the fact that I had a little bit of training on how to do some of this audio stuff. You know, I, I flunked a couple classes in college about it. <laughs> and, um, and I just start editing a few things for the radio station, for the website. And then it, it, the Lord just kept blessing me and blessing me and blessing me with all these things, and it was like for once in my life, instead of me trying to come up with some harebrained scheme on like, all right, I'm gonna train hop to California, I'm gonna play my guitar, I'm gonna make $500, and then I'm getting a ticket to Hawaii, and I'm gonna work at an organic macadamia nut farm, and all these crazy things that I always wanted to do, and I just stopped, you know, I stopped trying to do that, and I started praying every day to God, what do you want me to do? And it was usually last second that I'd find out what I'm supposed to do, but it would just be laid out right in front of me. I knew exactly what to do when the moment came and when the time is right. And these blessings just keep coming and coming. And then it got to the point where I was here so much and working so much that I was able to start employment here at the church, at the radio station, which was like the biggest blessing that I have had, you know, thus far, just because it's it's so much more gratifying, number one, when you're doing something that you love and you don't hate coming to work, but then to know that you're, you're spreading the gospel and you're doing the Lord's work also, well, the Lord's working through us, um, that just brings a whole new passion. And it's not that it's always easy. It's definitely not. <laughs> Kevin and Rob know how stressed I've been the last couple of weeks trying to get myself to a, caught up for when I leave. Um, but it's just phenomenal 
that now, you know, I've got this, this new perfect, uh, excuse me, my mouth's getting dry. I've got this new purpose in life. I spent so many years changing my college major, changing my career goals, doing this, doing that, never knowing where I fit in, never knowing what I should do. And turns out I probably should have paid more attention in those college classes now that I'm doing this. But, I, you know, I'm here working on the radio station, and it's just it's the best thing that I could possibly be doing for myself right now. And then Rob brought a letter that he had gotten in the mail from some Calvary Chapel in California. We didn't know him, didn't really know what it was about. It was about a work-study program in Yucca Valley, California at this church that has a, a Bible school there. And he kind of tossed it at me. He was like, just read that. It sounds kind of cool. I don't know if you want to do it or not. And I was like, okay, I'll read it later. It was like just a letter. It was no big deal. And then it's just transpired into this thing. Now I'm taking this road trip out to California, and I'm going to be going to Bible college out there. And it worked out. I'm going to be getting to work in their media department, learning under people who didn't flunk their college classes, <laughs> to teach me more that'll then, you know, that I can then bring here to help Reveal FM, to help Calvary Chapel in Cumberland, and help get the Word of God out to more people in more places on the radio. And as for now, I feel like that's where I'm supposed to be, and that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And until God tells me to move... I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to keep, well, not here, but California. But I'm still doing stuff here. But I think I got to the end of my paper, and now I'm starting to ramble. <laughs> but it's, the, the point of all of this is that from going to being completely hopeless, depressed, lost, having no purpose in life, just hating every day, waking up drinking just to sleep the rest of the day off and not have to deal with life to coming to now where I've got all these phenomenal blessings and all the you know the the opportunities that are coming my way are amazing and I never could have imagined that I would have ever been able to have these things happen and they wouldn't have happened had I continued to just try and find it in myself rather than find it through Jesus and through the word of God. And I think I'm going to stop there because that sounds like a good ending to me. <laughs> um, now, if there's anyone out there that hasn't taken it upon themselves to find their place in the body of God, in the family of a church, and give your life over to Jesus... I would say, what better place than here, and what better time than now? Uh, you know, I'm not going to necessarily ask anyone to get up and come up here, but if, if you're out there, I'd like everyone to sort of say this prayer with me if you want to give your life to the Lord. So let's do that. All right. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for the sacrifice that you made for me and all other sinners on the cross. I am a lost, hopeless sinner, and I need you, Lord, in my life. I need to give my life to you. Just save me from myself, Lord. You died and you rose again for me and for everybody else. And I love you for it, and I pray this in your name. Amen.
All right. Isn't that cool? Don't you love to hear what God's doing? Yeah. Hey, if you have your Bible, open up to 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, just raise up your hand. We'll let you borrow one. If you don't own a Bible and need it, you're welcome to keep it. You know, Jordan uh, has a calling in some sort of ministry. You want to know how I know? Because he said he'd only talk for 15 minutes. About a half hour, 35, 40 minutes, <laughs> something like that, Sorry. not too long, it was good. Very good. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Yeah, I, it, it's hard to do what Jordan did, you know, it's, it's hard to get up here. And it, it's one thing, you know, and, and hopefully it opens up everybody's eyes to, you know, a lot of you guys in church just know Jordan from the time he's been here, but you get to see his journey through life. And, uh, and more importantly, hopefully it causes you to look at what God's done and what God continues to do. So hopefully it brings you to a place where you can worship the Lord. And, and if you don't know the Lord, hopefully it brings you to a place where you say, I want that in my life too. I, I want to see those kinds of changes. I need that as well. So, uh, so definitely. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, we've been studying through the, through the book of 2 Timothy. That's the way that we do it here. We go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Line upon line, precept upon precept, as the, as the word would tell us. Uh, in chapter 1 of, First Tim, of 2 Timothy, we saw uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was writing this letter. It's, it's an actual handwritten letter to his young protege, Timothy. And in chapter 1, he tells Timothy to do three very important things. He said in verse, uh, verse 6, he said, Stir up the gift of God which is in you, Timothy. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So Paul encourages Timothy to stir up this gift. And we talked about that gift that was within Timothy was evangelism. It was that gift of evangelism, of sharing the gospel that Timothy had. And Paul was telling Timothy to stir up this gift because during that time, Christian persecution had really begun. It, it, was, it was at a very, very uh, drastic state. Peter had been arrested. Paul had been arrested. Peter would be crucified upside down. All the other apostles would be martyred for their faith with the exception of John, according to church history. So when Paul tells Timothy, stir up that gift, he's saying, Timothy, I know, I know it could be in a scary time. I know it could be a difficult time, but continue in that gift of evangelism that you've been given and he also told Timothy, number two, he said, don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ. And don't be ashamed of my testimony either, Timothy. And he would tell Timothy that because Paul's writing this letter from a prison cell. This was Paul's second arrest in Rome. Probably other arrests took place besides this, but he's in Rome. He's literally months, perhaps weeks, even days away from his own death. And he's writing a letter of encouragement to his young protege, Timothy, because he realizes Timothy is still on the outside and can still share and carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to those people. And the third thing he said to Timothy was, hold fast. Hold fast, Timothy, to the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me that are in faith and love, which are from Christ Jesus. Hold fast to the things that I've taught you, Timothy. And then we came to chapter 2. In chapter 2 of verse 7, Paul said, consider what I say. May the Lord give you understanding in all things. So Paul says to Timothy, I want you to consider a few things, Timothy. Consider this. At this difficult time in life, at this drastic time of life or death, I want you to remember you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 
As Jordan, you heard Jordan say this morning, being a Christian doesn't mean it's easy. Timothy's going to himself be martyred for the faith in just a few short years. No one says it's supposed to be easy. There's brothers and sisters in Christ around the world that this morning are possibly being martyred for their faith, that need our prayers and and need our support. We live in a country where we're free to gather and leave the doors unlocked, but that's not the way it is around the world. We need to remember that's a blessing that we have for now from the Lord. He also said to Timothy, take the things that you learned, Timothy, the things that I've taught you, and go find faithful men to commit them to. Go find other people. Timothy, don't die with the word of God buried in you so it doesn't continue on. He said, Timothy, take God's word, teach it to other men so they can carry it on no matter what happens to you. And he also said to Timothy, and I like this one too, he said, be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. Be strong in the grace, Timothy. That's what we need to find our strength in, in the grace of God. Anybody perfect out there? Not me. Jordan, perfect? Are you perfect now? No, we're not perfect. Christians aren't perfect, we're just forgiven, and we have the grace of Jesus Christ. Be strong in the grace that you have. And then we come to verse 8. Paul had told Timothy to consider in verse 7, and now in verse 8, he's going to tell Timothy, Timothy, I want you to remember something. There's something you have to remember, Timothy. And look at verse 8 with me. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul says to Timothy, there's something I need you to remember, Timothy. I need you to remember something. He didn't think Timothy had forgot this. He's just saying, Timothy, this needs to be at the forefront of your evangelism. This needs to be at the forefront of your message. It's not that he forgot. Timothy, you cannot forget to tell people that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. You can't. You, you, you have, no matter what you teach, all the stuff, all of the important stuff that you're going to share about gospel, about doctrine, about Jesus, about Bible, you cannot forget to tell them that's the, the most important part, that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Timothy's got this gift of evangelism, and now Paul's saying, hey, but notice he says something else. He says, Timothy, I want you to tell him, tell him something else. I want you to remember that Jesus Christ is from the seed of David. Jesus, Jesus Christ is from the seed of David. And that makes you scratch your head and go, Rob, why is that important? We're not Jewish. What does that make a difference to us? I don't understand. It tells us two things. It tells us, one, that Jesus was the Messiah of the nation Israel as promised in the Old Testament. There's over 200 prophecies concerning the Messiah. Jesus Christ fulfilled all of them. For me personally, it was when I was searching for my faith, do I believe this book? Do Do I think this is true? Or is this just a bunch of storybooks? When I began to look at fulfilled prophecy in Jesus Christ, I was completely convinced. That's what sold me on what the scripture was actually the word of God. Because you can't, nobody can determine where they're born. Nobody can determine where they live as a child. It all has to only come through the hand of God. And when I looked at the prophecies of Christ, I thought, wow, that's absolutely amazing. That's impossible. The, 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 the odds of that coming true is just, it's insane. You could even fathom that, how high that number would be. He's the Messiah of Israel. He's the seed of David who fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. And it meant that the Old Testament for me was the word of God and that it could be trusted. When the word of God said something that I, because it happened, sometimes a thousand, two thousand years later, it can be trusted. And that was huge for me. But it also speaks of Jesus being a man. 
He was of the line of David. He was of the seed of David, which means he was fully man as well as being fully God. It speaks of his humanity. And then he says to Timothy probably the most important thing, and we mentioned it briefly, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Timothy, we can't forget that. Now, doesn't that sound kind of obvious in Christianity? I mean, shouldn't we kind of as Christians already know that? I mean, you know, if we're in church regular, we've been to church or we went to Sunday school or, you know, we got that. That's, that's what Easter's all about, right? That's what we celebrate Easter Sunday. That, wouldn't that be kind of common? And we know the majority of Americans believe in God, but I want to share something interesting with you. In 2010, George Barna did a survey, and you can look it up online if you'd like to, and here's what he found. Only 40 2% of Americans said that the meaning of Easter was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Only 42% of Americans in this survey, that he, people he surveyed across a wide variety of people, knew that Easter, Resurrection Day, was for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One out of every 50 adults, one, which is 2%, said they would describe Easter as the most important holiday of their faith. Only 2% said that Easter was the most important holiday of their faith. You think, well, what would it be? What would they be focusing on? Christmas. Christmas, right? It's not the birth of Christ that we celebrate. It's the resurrection of Christ. And Paul is saying that you need to remember this, Timothy. When it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we need to understand that it is at the forefront of our faith. We need to understand what actually took place. It is the proof that the payment on the cross was accepted. Listen, if you go to the store and you lay 20 bucks down for something you're buying and you walk out and you don't get a receipt, can you ever prove that you bought that? No. The resurrection is the receipt. It's what we point to to say that the death on the cross was paid the price for my sin. How do you know that? Because Jesus rose from the dead and nobody else has ever done that. You say, wait a minute, people have been risen from the dead. Yeah, but they died again. Lazarus was called out of the tomb, but he died again. Everybody else that we see risen from the dead, they died again. Jesus Christ is the only one that rose from the dead. And then where did he go? He ascended to the Father, to the right hand. That resurrection is so, so important. It, it proves to us. But I know what you think. I know how people think. There's always people that go, you know, Rob, I just don't really believe that. I really don't. You know, I, I don't even know if Jesus was really a person. Listen, Roman historians, Jewish historians, and Christian historians all point to Jesus being a real person and alive. It's not even debatable. You have done no research if you don't think that he was a real person. You say, Rob, well, what about the whole resurrection thing? Could he really have come back? Listen, the evidence there is overwhelming too. And I want to just read one little thing to you. Josh McDowell in his book, Evidence Demands a Verdict. And if you're searching for whether or not you believe that Jesus is real, whether you not believe the Bible is real, buy this book. It's called Evidence Demands a Verdict. It's like a textbook. It'll take you a long time to read it, but it'll give you, it'll even put you to sleep at night, but it'll give you all the facts and figures that you ever wanted on Jesus Christ in the, in the validity of the Bible. He said this, Josh McDowell said this, after more than 700 hours, 700 hours, so that's roughly what? four months of working 40 hours a week, roughly four months of working 40 hour a week, after more than 700 hours of studying the subject of the resurrection and thoroughly investigating its foundation, I have come to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of two things. It's either the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever foisted upon the minds of men, so it's either a big hoax, it's just the most worst, the, the worst thing possible. People are gathering in churches, if, if it's not real, people are gathering in churches around the world for nothing, or it's the most fantastic fact of history. And at the end of his chapter on the resurrection, he would say, 
And in conclusion of this chapter, Josh McDowell would conclude, he is risen, he is risen indeed. The Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Now this is important because the Apostle Paul says, this is my gospel. It's my gospel. It's mine. It belongs to me. You say, wait a minute. I thought it was Jesus' gospel. It is, but Paul took ownership in that gospel. It was his gospel. You see, your belief in Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, has to be yours. It can't be your grandmother's gospel. It can't be your dad's gospel or your mom's gospel, your brother's gospel, your sister's gospel, your friend's gospel, your neighbor's gospel. The question is, is it your gospel? Is it really your gospel? Jesus' death on the cross was the payment but the resurrection was the receipt. The resurrection was a receipt. Showing the payment was received as perfect before God the Father. It is proof the payment for sin was accepted. What's the gospel in your life? What is it? What is it that you are holding true to? Have you, as Jordan mentioned, have you given your life to Christ? You might look at the Jordan's life and say, oh, that's all really cool. That really happened. It's not by coincidence. It didn't just happen to him. The letter that he's talking about, I threw away the day before. We get letters all the time from Bible colleges and all this kind of stuff. I get them all the time. They come to the church. And usually I open them up, I read them, and I toss them in the garbage can. And what he didn't tell you is the day before I gave it to him, I tossed it in the garbage can. I threw it away. I read it. I thought, oh, that would be kind of cool, and I tossed it in the can. The next morning I came into church. I sat at my desk. I opened my Bible, began to pray, and began to do a little Bible study. And I just felt that little still small voice says, get that letter out and go give it to Jordan. I said, Okay. So I took the letter out, of, dug it out of the garbage can. There was some other stuff on top of it. Walked down here, and it's just like I said, here, Jordan, take a look at this. See what you think. No, having no idea, didn't, it, I just felt like that was something I should do. Now it's turning into, God's doing that. Now he's taking him out to California to see, to see what takes place out there next. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it has to become yours. You can't live with somebody else's gospel. It's not yours. If, it's not, if, if you don't have that, if you've never made that decision to follow Christ, then you're missing it. But then look what he says. For which I, in verse 9, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer even to the point of chains paul says i'm suffering for that very gospel that very gospel i'm imprisoned i'm chained and i can imagine as he's writing this he's chained and every time he pens he hears the chains rattle every time he's chained to the every 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 word he writes he can hear the chain rattling on the floor rattling on the wall rattling against the against the uh, rings that would hold him i'm sure he heard his own chain as he did this the Bible has been attacked more than any other book throughout history. It's been burned, it's been banned, it's been mocked, it's been twisted, and it's been ignored. But the word of God still stands forever. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul said? But the word of God is not chained. It means it does not come under anybody's authority. It cannot be subdued. It cannot be removed. It cannot be taken away. There's been countries that have tried to remove the Bible, and you know what happens? There's just more Bibles that are snuck in. It's the most, it's the most sold book ever every year it tops doubles triples way above all the charts of they don't even put it on the list there's more bible sold than any other book around the world they're being sold huge huge numbers no government no religious no religious authority no skeptics no scientists no philosophers or no book burners have ever been able to stop the work of the word of god people did people thought we're going to stop it we're going to cut it out it'll, when it was being put together it won't make it it'll be it'll be pushed to the side that's not the case it's still 2,000 years later being read in churches. Still, it's still changing lives today. But the question is, will you allow it to change yours? You have to be willing to allow it to change yours. 
Yet, if there is any sense in which the word is bound, it's bound when it is abandoned by its very friends. When pulpits sound more like self-help books than those who proclaim God's word. When scriptures is used sparingly like a spice in a message instead of being the core of it. Pastors themselves put a chain around the Bible. You see, the Bible needs to be the focus of every church. And any church that doesn't have the Bible, the scriptures as the focus, they're just sprinkling verses around, like, like you would sprinkle spices in a food. There's lots of churches that are teaching the Bible. We're not the only one. We're not saying we're the only one. But what I'm saying is find one that is teaching you the scriptures. The Apostle Paul says, I'm suffering as an evildoer, as a troublemaker for the gospel, even to the point of chains. And he says, you cannot chain the word of God. It cannot be subdued. It will not come under the authority of any country, any government, any man, any person. The only place it can be chained or the worst place it can be chained is from the pulpit. If a pastor fails to rightly teach it, if a pastor fails to proclaim it to the people. Paul would go on in verse 10. He would say, therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul says, I am enduring suffering's sake. I am enduring suffering, hardship, imprisonment for those people who would come to Christ. Now notice he says the elect there. Some people think that's the Jews. Because he mentions the seed of David earlier, he could be referring to the Jews. But more likely he's referring to the, the future Christians. Some people would say, oh, wait a minute, there's elect, there's, there's Calvinism and Arminianism. No, no, Calvinism and Arminianism didn't come around for until almost 1,500 years later. The Apostle Paul's not talking about Calvinism or predestination here. He's talking about those people who would be chosen by God, who would come to salvation. Paul saw his suffering as necessary so that people could come to Christ, and he's willing to do that. Think about that. Aren't you glad Paul was willing to suffer? Aren't you glad that he wrote the letters and the books that he did? Do you realize the majority of the New Testament is written by Paul or under the leadership of the Apostle Paul? Yet he suffered. It was hard. Yet his words have been preserved because they came through the Holy Spirit and you cannot chain the word of God. He says, I endure these things. And then in verses 11 through 13, it's a bit of a song and we'll close with these few verses. It says, this is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Paul says this statement is faithful. This is faithful. You can believe this. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. Speaking of two things, both physical death, going to be with the Lord, but also speaking of baptism and salvation, which is a picture of, our, our, uh, of death and resurrection with Jesus Christ. It's an outward sign of our inward commitment that we make to him. We shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. Don't you love that? What are you enduring this morning? What is it that, you, that you've been called to endure through? What difficulty faces you that, you that you have to endure through? And I know our natural desire is just take it away, God. If you, God, if you loved me, then you would put me through this hardship. That's the biggest lie from Satan. God's got you or allowed something in your life so that you will do something, that you will realize why it's there. Maybe it's there. Jordan said that he mentioned it. The first time God reached out to him was at the car crash, but yet he didn't listen. How much, how much different could his life have been had he listened at that moment? How long do we have to go before we listen? How old do we have to get before we say, you know what, Lord, I will give you my life and I will walk day by day. He said God waits to the last minute. He does, doesn't he? He always waits to the last minute. Why? Because he wants you to remain faithful. 
He wants you to remain faithful. Do you really trust him? But he says, the last half of verse 12, if we deny him, he also will deny us. He'll deny us. Where do you stand with that? Have you denied Christ? Are you denying Christ with your lifestyle? Are you denying Christ with your mouth? Don't expect. You say, well, Rob, I don't even believe in Jesus. It doesn't really make any difference to me. Just because we believe something doesn't mean it's true. Just because you don't believe something doesn't mean it's true. The word of God is not chained. It is persevered. No one has kept it down. The spirit of God is upon it. It is a living document. It will change you if you allow you to read it. Jordan mentioned at U-turn, I learned how to read the Bible. I learned to go to the Bible so it would speak to me. And the Bible began to speak to him and giving him answers for his life. What do I do, Lord? Began to lead him and guide him through the study of God's word. But if we deny Christ, we also will be denied. But notice the next one. If we're faithless, he remains faithful. God is faithful. Do you really believe that? God's faithful. He will meet you. He will provide for you. You might look and go, well, I don't know where I'm going to stay next week, but you have a place to stay tonight. You have somebody helping. You're, hun- you're not hungry right now. If you are, come back for lunch and we'll feed you. They got all kinds of food. God will provide for you day by day, moment by moment, but he's not going to provide for you for the next year, the next two years, the next week. It might, not, it might only be today because sometimes that's how he wants to teach us one day at a time. I'm going to follow God today. He's going to provide for me today. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. Like the birds. You ever watch the birds? You think they're up there stressing out in the trees, figuring, what am I going to do tomorrow? What am I going to do? How am I going to, where am I going to eat? Well, I'll just, you know, fly on down and find a worm. God will provide a worm there. That's the way that we're supposed to be. He, he, if we are faithless, and as Christians, we are faithless sometimes, aren't we? we? We look at the Lord and go, Lord, where are you? Are you here? Are you really here? You're not here. He's laughing. I'm here. I'm here. I'm just trying to teach you something. I'm just trying to get your attention. I'm just allowing you. Or maybe you've, you, know, you made a bunch of bad decisions, and these are just consequences that you're going through. He cannot deny himself. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. God is faithful. He's been faithful in my life, and I can guarantee you, if you don't think that he's faithful, go talk to other believers that have been following him, and they will tell you, and they will speak, and they will testify. That's what a testimony is. You heard Jordan come up here this morning and testify of God's faithfulness. When he left U-turn, what did he say? He didn't say God is faithful, but what happened? The Lord brought this person. The Lord brought that person. I happened to be in Florida driving back to Maryland. Just, just so, do you think that just so happened that way? No, it, God is faithful. He's providing every step along the way. But here's the catch. You've got to be willing to let him provide. You've got to be willing to follow. You've got to be, and I have to be willing to go allow him to do what he's going to do. And sometimes that's hard in our, in our lives because I have to lay something down. You know, Jordan had his whole plan for life figured out. He had probably never included Bible college. And now he's learning, you know what? I don't, I ask him what he's going to do when he gets out of Bible college. He's going to say, I don't know. All I know is I'm supposed to go. When I get there, I'll go through that. And I'll, we call it bridal college, by the way. Because we figure he's going to go out to California, find somebody, meet, get married, and never come back. But we're, we're hoping he comes back. But that's in God's hands. That's in God's plans. You know, he's taken a step to follow God. Now, at any time, he can back off that. He could. He could go back to his old lifestyle just over tonight. He could if he chose to do that. 
And from time to time, Christians do that. And we have to remember that's where we have to be strong in the grace of God. That's where we be strong in the grace. We repent and we say, Lord, I've fallen. I Forgive me. I need to be restored back to where I was. And Jordan gave you guys a chance. I'm not going to do it again, but listen, if you don't know the Lord, uh, don't leave here today without making that change in your life. Come see Jordan. Come see me afterwards. Really, don't, don't, you know, if, you, if you hear Jordan go, I want what he has. I want to be able to follow the Lord like that. Go see him. Go talk to him. Go let him, let him explain it to you. Let him lead you to Christ. Or come see me. But uh, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the testimony in Jordan's life. But Lord, he's not the only one sitting in this room that has a testimony. For each of us have come to you in our own way. He's just the one that shared his publicly. And some of us are still working on our testimonies. Maybe we're not there with you yet. But I just pray those that don't know you, you'd work in their heart and you'd draw them close to you. Lord, not because we need to fill the seats in a church, but because we know what life-changing it can be. We know how, what the difference you can make. We know the stress and the guilt that you can remove. We know the the guidance that you can provide, the forgiveness that goes along there, all of those things that you provide, Lord. No, it might not be easy. Matter of fact, it's probably likely going to be more difficult. But yet it'll be so much more fulfilling, so much more peaceful, so much more, so much more of what you have for us, Lord. So Lord, I just pray for Jordan as we baptize him today. I pray as he goes away to uh, Bible college that you would protect him. You would lead him out there, get him out there safely. Lord, may you just begin, as he begins studying and learning, would, you just, would he just grow in his knowledge of you, Lord? Would the scriptures just come alive? Would he be a, a tool out there, Father, to other, minister to other people? Young people his age, people, people that are coming within the church, Lord. May he just be a, a part of the body of Christ. May he fit in. May you bring him a friend, a brother in the Lord out there that he can spend time with and get to know and, and share their hearts and you know, encourage one another and lift one another up. And Father, may you just have your way in his life, as well as ours. So Lord, we thank you for this time to gather. We thank you for this time of study and, uh, and all that you're doing in our fellowship and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.